listening to the news on RTHK. Radio 3, live on the web, rthk.org.hk. Good morning, it's 8.03 in Hong Kong on Friday the 21st of October. A warm welcome to the final Money Talk of the Week with me, Peter Lewis. Investors have given the thumbs down to John Lee's maiden policy address yesterday, in which he unveiled a $30 billion Hong Kong plan to attract international businesses, investment and talent to Hong Kong. At one stage yesterday, the Hang Seng Index was down 3% at its lowest level since May 2009. Hong Kong's seasonally adjusted unemployment rate eased to 3.9% in the July to September quarter from 4.1% in the prior three months. The jobless rate improved for the fifth consecutive period as economic activities received support from the consumption voucher scheme. The underemployment rate fell from 2% to 1.8%. Liz Truss has resigned as UK Prime Minister after just 45 days in office, making her Britain's shortest-serving PM. A new leadership race to succeed her has now begun, with hopefuls needing the backing of 100 MPs by Monday to enter the race. A new leader could be announced on Monday, or if there's more than one candidate, by next Friday. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Andrew Ferris of Econosis Advisory and Brad, Brad Gibson at Alliance Bernstein. With a view from India, it's Toby Lawson from Societe Generale India. Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. On Wall Street, US stocks have closed lower for a second day, reversing gains from earlier in the session, as Treasury yields march to new multi-year highs. The S&P 500 gave up gains of over 1% to close 0.8% lower at 3,666. The Dow, which was up nearly 400 points at the session high, slipped 90 points, or a third of a percent, to 30,334. The Nasdaq Composite shed 0.6% to close at 10,615. In Europe, both the regional stock 600 index and the UK's FTSE 100 rose a quarter of a percent. The slide in Hong Kong stocks continued on Thursday. At one stage, the index was down 3% at its lowest level since May 2009. It rebounded to close 231 points or 1.4% lower at 16,280. That's the lowest level since the 4th of October 2011. The tech index was down 2.4% at a new record low, and mainland stocks were also lower, with investors concerned about the continuation of China's zero-COVID policy and the sudden cancellation of the release of third-quarter GDP data. The Shanghai Composite closed a third of a percent lower at 3035 In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil is unchanged at $92.38 a barrel. Gold is trading at $1,627 an ounce. The benchmark US 10-year Treasury bond yield rose nine basis points to 4.23%. That's the highest level since 2008 after Fed Funds futures markets signaled US interest rates could reach a high of 5% by May next year. The yield has risen more than 20 basis points now in two sessions. And in the currency markets, the euro is trading at 97 and three quarters of a cent. 
The Japanese yen has fallen past 150 against the dollar for the first time since August 1990 and taking its losses for this year to 23%. The yen is currently down this morning 0.2% at 150.14%. Sterling rose to as high as $1.13.03 following the resignation of Prime Minister Liz Truss before slipping back to end the day 0.1% higher at $1.12.25 and against the local currency it's at 8 Hong Kong dollars and 81 cents. The offshore yuan traded near a fresh record low versus the dollar that yesterday. It then jumped on reports that Chinese officials are discussing cutting the inbound quarantine requirement from 10 days to 7 days. And this morning, the offshore yuan is at 7.25 and three quarters versus the dollar. Bitcoin is just holding on to the 19,000 level at $19,050. And around Asia-Pacific markets this morning, in Australia, the SX200 is off 0.9%. In Japan, the Nikkei 225 down 0.4%. The Cosby is off a third of a percent in South Korea. And it looks like a flat open for the Hang Seng this morning. Eight oh eight and a half. Let's welcome our guests over in our Queensway studio. We have with us Andrew Ferris, as we always do on a Friday morning, the CEO of Econosis Advisory. Morning, Andrew. Good morning. And also with him is Brad Gibson, the co-head of Asia-Pacific Fixed Income at Alliance Bernstein. Morning to you, Brad. Good morning, Peter. Um, let's start with the uh, the policy address. Maybe I can ask you uh, both in turn, perhaps starting with you, Andrew. What, give us your overall sort of impressions of, of John Lee's policy address that we heard on Wednesday. There are three things here. First, it's incredibly easy to become an armchair critic because, of course, there can always be better things or there can always be, let's say, uh, more important things. The second point is, is I sort of sense some sense some absence of a real, real, real determination to do something completely different and quickly. And therefore I will focus, and that's my third point, on the housing, which is, you know, come on now, lowering the waiting period from six to four and a half years. Yeah, it is okay, but tell that to the people in the queue. Look, Hong Kong has the money, has the capacity to change dramatically within five years. I've been living here for 37 years and I've seen enough plans and schemes to know that this can be done. It isn't me thinking, thinking grand, okay, in the safety of my, of my own home, to change drastically within five years the housing situation in Hong Kong. It can be done. And live along the northern uh, metropolis and so on. You know, let's finish quickly with this and then we can get on with that. It costs several billions, it will step on a lot of people's toes, and it will have create a huge amount of political kudos and brownie points and gold points for the government. It's as simple as that. So you don't think the northern metropolis is a good idea? I, don't, I think it is a very good idea, but not now, okay? right. G- given, that, given the issue that everybody carries on saying housing is a key point, and even the mainland Chinese sort of said it, can, it must have contributed a hell of a lot of the political uncertainty and the political discontent back back in, in those unhappy days. Solve it now, quickly. Okay, Brad, what, what did you think? Was this, was this a relaunch of Hong Kong as, uh, as no. it was being billed by some people anyway? No, and again, I think the market reaction was, was symptomatic of that. There, there wasn't enough of that big bang 
change for I don't think any sort of large multinational or financial institution to change their their, their existing plans for, for Hong Kong and that, that footprint I think going forward is probably to be smaller than what it has been previously and, and let's not forget that you know, Hong Kong suffers from sort of US monetary policy and, and, and China growth and both of those are challenging as a, as a backdrop um, in this cycle as well. I mean, he did come up with a lot of detail, didn't he, to be fair? I mean, often we see in policy dresses a lot of slogans and ideology um, and no idea about how to do it. He did put some very concrete plans in place about uh, what he intended to do to attract talent and to get people uh, to come here. A lot of detail. Um, do you think that will work? Um, well, I, the, it might attract talent, but I think that the, the whole nature of Hong Kong's financial market infrastructure is going to be more heavily leading towards supporting the Chinese financial markets development rather than, than the, the global financial market development. So again, yes, like Hong Kong will always remain a, a financial centre for mm. certain players in the markets, but those players are likely to be more Chinese-centric rather than, than sort of the flow of money from West to China, etc. What did you make, Andrew, of these uh, talent schemes? We've got this new now ta top talent pass scheme, so people who are eligible with an annual salary of two and a half million Hong Kong dollars and graduates uh, from the world's top 100 universities can come here uh, much easier. There's this new office for uh, attracting strategic enterprises, a talent services unit, a technology talent admission scheme. What does this all add up to? Well, it, you know, as usual, uh, God and devil is in the details, and there are plenty of details, and they look reasonable, uh, they look quantifiable, but I was terrified that we might score an own goal by pointing incessantly on the 140,000 people that have left Hong Kong for political reasons. You know, uh, not, not a good idea. For example, in the scheme of things, in the order by which these things appeared in the, in the policy address, they appeared literally on the top page. And for example, a green Hong Kong and a decarbonized Hong Kong appeared down on, on paragraph 110, I believe. Mm. Uh, can you see what I mean? You know, it, I'm not arguing that this was a bad idea. I'll say, you know, get the priorities right and avoid the fact that we do have a political problem and this can be addressed in a much more subtle and, uh, and nuanced way by saying 140,000 people left, we're going to bring a lot more people by giving them a lot of money. Mm. Yeah. And you know. where's this money going to come from? Because there's a lot of expensive uh, schemes in this address at the time that our budget deficit is increasing quite rapidly. Our reserves have dropped uh, below 800 billion Hong Kong dollars now. Uh, presumably there is pressure on the finances um, at this stage, isn't there? That has come, of course, because the property sector has, uh, has been hit and the main source of, of uh, one of the key sources of uh, government's uh, money is, of course, stamp duty and, uh, and land sales. And both of them have been squeezed. Mm. The reserves are still there and there is uh, a little bit of a quiet uh, 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 sort of shadow has fallen over how much of the reserves have been left. Mm. after giving all this money away and I'm, I'm actively trying to work my way through it okay because there's still Hong Kong still has got a lot of reserves which is our taxpayers money that mm. has not been spent good fantastic you know I don't have any problem paying my taxes and then seeing my money being spent in a way that uh, will address real problems long long-term problems Brad our fiscal reserves could mm. drop below spending this year for the first time since 2003. That's a, a bit of a worrying signal, isn't it? 
Well, to, to Andrew's point, I, I, I guess that you know those fiscal deficits are meant to to widen in times of stress. That's what the government's there for, to sort of smooth and test economic activity. So yeah, as long as those that budget deficit or that increased budget deficit or spending goes to something that is productive um, and generates sort of longer term growth, that, then there will be rewards and the budget will self self correct. Mm -hmm. But it's it's very difficult at the moment to sort of see that that growth pick up, particularly when. When, when China is sort of still with this sort of zero COVID policy, stymieing um, economic activity, because yeah, tax revenue is very strongly correlated to economic activity. It just it, that's that, what that's what happens. And until we get economic activity picking up, um, that that fiscal deficit is likely to get worse. And to give my to give my full support in the really awkward task that uh, John Lee has in mm. front of him, is uh, there is something that poor John and poor all us cannot do anything about it. And that is opening the frontier with China. Mm -hmm. You know, President Xi said it very clearly, zero COVID stays. Well, bang goes 75, I'll say that very slowly, 75% of all tourist visits in Hong Kong, at least last time we counted them, and that was between 1919 and 20, were from China. Well, these are all disappeared. And they are not going to come back unless the frontier opens. And John has no power over that. Remember, it can open our frontier to China, and possibly if he could, he would. Okay, so we can travel to China freely, but they can't travel to us freely. That's what investors seem to be worried about, wasn't it? If um, you can put your finger on what is exactly investors are worried about, yeah. the Hang Seng reacted badly to it. It did seem to be quite a lot to do with the fact that our borders remain closed and there's no exit strategy still from these local, uh, the remaining local restrictions to get us back to normal life. But even that is unfair again on, uh, on John Lee and his, and his group because they can do nothing about the Chinese policies. They can do practically everything, not necessarily what they want, okay, with our policies. But as I said, it's no point lifting up all restrictions in Hong Kong. This won't bring back the 75%. Now, mainland markets as well are also lower uh, on concerns about the zero COVID policy. Also, um, investors are concerned about the sudden cancellation of the release of Q3 GDP data. Brad, what, what does this mean for investors? Are they flying blind now when you come to investing in China? I'm not sure that investors relied on GDP data um, historically in any way, but it, yeah, it is unusual that it's not been not been released on time. Um, but with respect to that, that zero COVID policy, it is getting harder to position for that because that's sort of very much entrenched into how investors are thinking. It's, it's kind of consensus that zero COVID is going to continue for some time. And yesterday we had an announcement that they, they might be sort of pulling back on their sort of their quarantine measures. Mm. And you saw an immediately very quite positive reaction in the equity market, albeit short-lived. Um, so, yeah, there is a risk, you know, to, if you remain negative on, on China assets, that if they do sort of pull back or the trend changes for zero COVID to, to disappear, there could be quite a sharp reaction in, in markets to the positive side. Well, we've, we've seen that in the, in the offshore you are, and it traded at a record low yes. yesterday, yes. then did jump after that, uh, that report that um, officials are considering changing the requirements uh, uh, from 10 days down to uh, seven days. Um, tell me a bit more about the, this week um, you are. We, well, in fact, not just the week you are, we've got a weak Japanese yen as well. Central banks around Asia must be getting worried by this. Uh, before we go anywhere else, uh, Peter, we must come back to my favourite interest rate cut in country, Turkey. They cut oh, yeah. interest rates again. <laughs> Yay! Even though um, inflation's <laughs> at 80%. So we're talking about Japan, and to which, uh, you know, they just won't blink. 
Mm. And I must admit, I, I have huge sympathy for their policy, however crazy it might sound, because they're saying we want more inflation and we're going to get it by having a very weak yen, as opposed okay, to... Uh, well, si since they do want to have more inflation, then they really don't, shouldn't care what the United States and Europe are doing because they want less inflation there. Mm -hmm. So the policy is absolutely consistent. Um, Brad, let me um, just read out a letter from uh, an email that I've got from a, a listener about currencies. It's from Douglas Miller here in Hong Kong. He says, given the apparent relentless appreciation of the US dollar, and hence by default the Hong Kong dollar, which is obviously getting increasingly out of kilter with a renminbi, should we be concerned that the link may be under threat? Would it be prudent to keep assets in US dollars rather than Hong Kong dollars? Please, could you ask your experts? Off you go, Brad. <laughs> um, yeah, th this is a perennial question about the, the de-pegging of Hong Kong dollar and... You know, I, I don't think there's any stronger evidence more recently to suggest that that link is going to, or the peg is going to, to change. I think it would be just too, too destabilising. So no, I don't think there's that. In terms of the, the risks that are abounding in financial markets and, and currencies, a de-pegging of the Hong Kong dollar would be kind of a, a low risk to position for. Um, and nevertheless, if you can earn the same amount of interest in US dollar deposits versus a Hong Kong dollar deposit, then you know, investors can, can take, that, take that choice. Well, I, I'll, I'll, I'll stick my uh, metal plate on my chest and I'm, I'm going to leave to regret it. Uh, the, the peg will then potentially be able to go once the renminbi is fully capital convertible and that ain't going to happen for quite a while. Whilst this is the case, the peg absolutely stays. Yes. Full, full stop. Finally, then, let me get your thoughts on um, bond yields. Mm. They're surging again, aren't they, to multi-year highs um, now. Where does this end? Do you, do you think we're close to a peak in bond yields yet? Um, we, we think about the Fed's policy historically. They've never stopped tightening um, their interest rate or their, their cash rate until it's got higher than um, inflation. Mm. And inflation, the market is saying that inflation in the US is probably likely to, to get down to 5% by the say the middle of next year, so I think we're in it for another six months of higher U.S. interest rates, and that's they, they will collide at around five percent inflation and five percent Fed funds rate. So upward pressure on the bond market is probably here to stay for a few more months. Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll say yeah to that, uh, Brad. In, in a much more naive way, the Fed signaled two more seventy fives, and I really buy that. Yes. Okay. okay, well, great. It's as simple as that. Well, thank you both very much. Have a great weekend. You heard there Andrew Ferris, who is the CEO of Econosis Advisory, Brad Gibson, who is co-head of Asia-Pacific Fixed Income at Alliance Bernstein. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. to 8.22, there is a signalling fault on the Tumwan line between Central and Admiralty stations on the uh, MTR. Uh, Tumwan line trains will operate at a slower speed from Central to Admiralty station and that could extend the total journey time on the Tumwan line between Central and Tumwan station by five to eight minutes. On the phone now from Mumbai, India, Toby Lawson, the CEO of Society General India. Very good morning to you, Toby. Yeah, good morning to you, Peter. Um, let me ask you about uh, this volatility that we're seeing in all sorts of global markets uh, at the moment. First of all, stocks and another um, very volatile session. I've got a statistic here for you. The S&P 500 uh, yesterday 
saw an intraday swing of at least 1% in both directions. That's the 16th time that's happened this year, and it's the most for any year since the financial crisis, and we still have a few months to go yet till the end of the year. What, what do you make of all this volatility? What's behind it? Well, I think it's, it's the level of uncertainty, isn't it, uh, in terms of direction of uh, interest rates, the direction of the Fed's moves on how much to go uh, vis-a-vis inflation. Um, earnings are coming out now, so you're getting a mixed uh, figure on earnings. So let's, for instance, on uh, forecast looking forward from some companies that uh, are more tied to the leading indicators of the economy, starting to show that there's going to be some, some fairly fierce decline in, in level of activity, which has some positive and negative impacts over on the inflation. So I think overall, when you see these type of swings in markets intraday, it tells you that there's really no directional element to it and uh, flows start to have much of an impact. Um, and I think on the back of that as well, if you look at the move in bond yields being uh, 20 basis points over a couple of sessions at the 10-year level, it's quite quite aggressive, and that creates a level of volatility as well within the stock market. I've been reminded by someone of the 19... 19- 73 to 74 bear markets, which I think both of us are too young to remember. But nevertheless, uh, the index then, it spent four months churning really violently in, um, in a roughly 50%, 15% range between December 73 and April 74. Then the bottom dropped out of the market uh, and the index collapsed 30% in about six months. Are we at risk of the same thing happening? Is this a repeat of that bear market, do you think? Well, we were alive, Pete, but uh, a bit young to be able to assess it at the time. I'm at least pleased to say that. But, um, yeah, indeed, I think there's still um, clearly a chance for equity markets to, to dislocate to the downside. Um, and I guess if you look at valuations of stocks based on uh, a, a discounted cash flows from, from bond yields, if bond yields continue to rise, it's got to be negative for stocks, I think, in a throughput sense. And then if you look at the actual economy starting to slow, then that uh, that could lead to that level of dislocation suddenly becoming a reality. Um, so I don't want to opine on whether history will repeat itself, but we know history often rhymes and not necessarily repeat itself. And so I would certainly be of the view that equities remain uh, still a concern when uh, interest rates are rising and the terminal rate is still probably 150 basis points away. Uh, and bond yields are, are, are heading towards that level of inflation. So all of those indicators would suggest you'd have to be wary of stock markets still. And what about the bond yields? We're seeing now the US 10-year yield. It's at um, the highest level since 2008. It's risen just 20 basis points now in two sessions. And I think what drove that overnight, Fed fund futures markets, they jumped higher now and suggesting that rates could reach 5% by May of next year, which is another sort of step up really in expectations, isn't it? It seems uh, that every time, every every month or so, um, that the expectations for where rates are going to be uh, ends up higher. Well, of course, you know, inflation, uh, even if it is peaking, is still persistently high and is much more broad-based than what it was originally driven by supply chains and, en- and energy prices. So it's now fed into wages. It's fed into pretty much the whole economy. So that's going to be persistent, which means the Fed, if its target is uh, uh, to hit inflation at 2% and you're running at the PCE at 6.2, um, you've got a lot of work to do. So the expectation is the Fed will need to raise rates. And I think the Fed governor, Harker, I think said overnight that they're, they're not having much success. So uh, at least at this point in terms of bringing inflation down, 
and as such, you would expect that the rates to go up. And then, yeah, futures markets are good readers of obviously what their expectation is, particularly in the short duration. Um, yeah, five percent is is becoming more more the likely terminal rate than four and a half it was maybe a month or two ago. And of course, this is also causing um, some turmoil in the currency markets out here in Asia. Uh, we've got the Japanese yen um, at the weakest level since 1990. Offshore Chinese yuan fell to an all-time low um, as well yesterday. This must be causing some headaches for Asian central banks. Yeah, and, and, and locally here in India, you know, rupee at uh, 82, 82. But noting, of course, that it's really the dollar. Um, uh, rupees perform quite well against other currencies. Um, so for emerging markets and economies in Asia, importing inflation through higher US dollar is a concern. But interestingly, it doesn't seem to be any policy moves to try to defend it too aggressively, more by central banks trying to manage the volatility and the velocity of these moves rather than the actual direction. So I'd say that uh, we're adapting to um, weaker uh, currencies vis-a-vis the dollar and uh, reserve banks and central banks are trying to pretty throttle the volatility as opposed to trying to impact the direction. You don't think there's any chance of coordinated intervention? I think each, each central bank's running its own play um, in relation to intervention on currency. You know, uh, yen uh, at 150 and no one's... I mean, it's it hasn't dislocated Japanese markets particularly at this point in time. Um, you mentioned yuan and uh, here in India, rupee, RBI are in, in intervening to try to throttle it, but not necessarily trying to reverse the direction. Okay, Toby, thank you very much. Have a great weekend. That's Toby Lawson, the CEO of Societe Generale India. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. The Transport Department has now fixed that signalling fault between Central and Admiralty Admiralty stations on the Tumwan line and normal train services gradually resuming in the markets right now. In Australia, first of all, the SX200 is down 0.9%. The Nikkei 225 in Japan off a third of a percent. The Cosby in South Korea down 0.1%. Looks like the Hang Seng uh, is heading for a flat open later on this morning. Coming up after the news is the 2022 policy address phone-in. Chief Executive John Lee is in our studio to answer your questions and to listen to your comments on this year's policy address. You can call in right now on 2338-8266 to talk with the Chief Executive. Jim Gould and Janice Wong will be hosting the phone-in in just a few minutes' time. And you can also watch on RTHK TV 31. And you can also watch on the Money Talk Oh, sorry, on the, on the back chat Facebook page as well. So that's the chief executive phone in coming up in a moment. The number once again, 2338-8266. Have a great weekend. I'll be back on Monday morning at eight o'clock. Just before I go, let me give you an update on the weather forecast for today and the weekend. It's going to be fine. During the day, a maximum temperature of around 29 degrees, moderate to fresh east to northeasterly winds, and it's going to be mainly fine tomorrow, windy with one or two showers um, early next week. The temperature right now out of the observatory is 24 degrees, and it's 66% relative humidity. It's 8.30, coming up with the half-hour news, here's Barry O'Rourke.
The former president of the Medical Association says working conditions and pay should be improved to attract doctors to the public sector. Choi Kin was commenting on proposals made in Wednesday's policy address to try to ease a manpower shortage, such as requiring doctors to do a stint in public health care. Dr Choi told RTHK that local graduates already did around 6 to 12 years public service to become qualified as specialists. That is usually enough. Very few doctors nowadays go immediately from graduation to private practice because of concern about inadequate training. So I don't see the need for compulsory residency in the public hospitals after graduation. But if it's needed, then the medical students who enter medical schools should be informed of this well ahead. That would be fair. Otherwise, to announce that they need to sign a contract to work in the public health service after graduation for a number of years would not be fair to them. MTR services on the Chunwan line are gradually returning to normal. Earlier, the company said journeys were being delayed due to a signalling failure between central and admiralty stations. Trains were running at two and a half minute intervals. Turning overseas now, and Britain will get a new Prime Minister by the end of next week after the governing Conservative Party announced a fast-track leadership contest following Liz Truss's resignation. The leader of Britain's main opposition Labour Party, Keir Starmer, said shuffling the people at the top without the consent of British voters was not enough. We're burning through Prime Ministers, we're burning through Chancellors, we're burning through Home Secretaries, and that gives it an element of soap opera. But it isn't just a soap opera, and this is, you know, for many people who are facing higher prices, higher mortgages, this is real damage that's being inflicted on them. I really don't think that another revolving door of chaos, another experiment at the top of the Tory party is the way out of this. There's mounting evidence that Russia has been withdrawing troops and defence systems from Syria in an effort to bolster its faltering war in Ukraine. The details from the BBC's Mike Thompson. Satellite images obtained by an Israeli firm appear to show that Moscow has recently transferred a sophisticated S-300 air defence system from Syria to Crimea. The move appears to have been prompted by Russia's mounting problems in Ukraine. Wary of this defence system when launching airstrikes against Iranian-backed militia in Syria, Israel has long needed Moscow's cooperation. Analysts predict that with that threat now declining, Israel may have a freer hand both on airstrikes in Syria and perhaps even on selling arms to Russia's enemy, Ukraine. And finally, the United States says Iran has deployed military experts in Russian-occupied Crimea to help launch suicide drone attacks on Ukraine. The White House said Washington was considering imposing new sanctions. More news on the hour from RTHK. The Chief Executive phoning with Jim Gould and Janice Wong. Call us on 23388266. Good morning and welcome to this uh, special programme, the Chief Executive uh, phone-in on the 2022 policy address. And uh, John Lee is here with us in the studio this morning to answer your questions directly for the next hour. We're on Radio 3, RTHK TV 31, streaming on Facebook and on our Radio 3 YouTube channel. Get in touch, the number again, 233 and please try to get your calls in early. Uh, Mr Lee, good morning and thank you very much for joining us. 
Good morning, Jim, and good, good morning, morning Janice. Yeah. Good morning, everybody. Right, all right. So, a very uh, detailed uh, policy address. Uh, one of the main focuses, of course, was uh, attracting overseas talent to come to live and work in Hong Kong. Uh, many uh, policy initiatives connected with that uh, visa arrangements, uh, rebates on uh, stamp duty for people buying property here and staying here for seven years, uh, overseas offices having dedicated teams to help in the uh, drive to attract overseas talent. I mean, taking all these measures together, I mean, how confident are you that uh, it's going to have the desired effect? Well, we are very confident because we have set a target of uh, recruiting at least 35,000 people a year. Uh, you can see that for my government, I emphasize on, first of all, creating a right structure so as to get things done. I emphasize on creating the T 